One of the innovations of the internet is the introduction of software robots or bots that allow repetitive tasks to be performed routinely without human intervention. But like many other technologies, a good thing can sometimes be turned to do bad things. According to the 2022 Imperva Bad Bot Report, bad bots accounted for a record-setting 27.7 of all global website traffic in 2021, up from a little over 25% in 2020. The three most common bot attacks were identified as account takeover, content or price scraping and uh, scalping to obtain limited availability items. With us today to talk about bots, their role in technology-led society and how we can overcome the darker side of bot technologies, Mr. Garrett O'Hara, field CTO for Asia Pacific at Mimecast. Garrett, welcome to Pod Chats for Future CISO. Great to be here, Alan. Thanks for having me. Pleasure is all mine. Now, among the many kinds of cyber threats on the internet, why are bots so dangerous? Well, Alan, as, as you've said, the amount of traffic that we're seeing from bots is significant. You know, a quarter of the internet's traffic is nothing to, to kind of sniff at. Um, and we're actually seeing pretty high amounts of traffic in this region locally. So Singapore being the sort of highest proportion of bot traffic and then followed closely by China, Australia, New Zealand and Japan. So we're actually seeing a significant amount of traffic. These are one of many cyber attack vectors. You know, we, we deal with lots of things in our industry across email, web security, uh, end user, etc. Bots are particularly dangerous, though, because of the scale that they can act at. Huge, huge volume of traffic, as you said already. Um, and the things that they involve them themselves with significant impacts to businesses. So uh, you mentioned it, you know, they can scrape web data from competitor websites, for example. So one organization can scrape the pricing structure for a different organization and use that as competitive outcome. Scalping, uh, you mentioned that, you know, the idea of scalping things like concert tickets or anything where the supply and demand is out of whack to the point where it is a high demand item. And we saw that with things like graphic cards, you see that with concert tickets. And more recently, you see that with things like physical services, the Israel example where and we actually had a situation where using bots the folks that were involved were basically able to charge people for something that was free um, so they kind of insert themselves in the middle of transactions and, and sort of elicit a, a price and cost to people who would, wouldn't otherwise have to pay but you see so much nefarious activity happening from bad bots across things like account takeover as you mentioned so identity fraud and automated fraud and then the impact can be significant for organizations you know thinking about things like reputation damage if bots for example, bring down a website or interfere with uh, ratings for products, etc. So, you know, this isn't abstract stuff that doesn't have an effect. It actually is a very, very kind of meaningful effect to both citizens of many uh, countries and then consumers and employees of many companies that are out there. So yeah, a very significant issue that we're dealing with. Speaking about the pandemic, how have bots evolved since the pandemic? And are bots today any worse compared to, say, before 2020? Uh, they are. Look, and, and you're seeing a similar trend to many cybersecurity vectors where that, that is part of what you see. Clearly, there's there's money to be made and profits uh, involved for the, the cyber criminals in this case. And with that, what you will see is the continued evolution of, of technology, in this case, bad bots. Um, when COVID hit, uh, you'd be well aware, many organizations were forced to go digital when they worked traditionally in maybe bricks and mortar you know, physical locations. So we saw this enormous shift of product sales 
sales, services, really everything moved to an online and digital format. And what you then saw was that the, the sort of hackers were able to kind of leverage that opportunity and target things like shopping and services sites. What that's led to is the technology involved in bots then evolving so that the attackers are A, more successful, and then B, can be more profitable when they are successful. So those two things will drive the folks who sit on the back end and actually develop the technology behind bad bots. One of the things you're seeing in both the world of good bots, and there's lots of, as you said in the opening, there's lots of really good and useful use cases for bots. And then there's these bad bots. Both of them benefit from the evolution of things like AI and machine learning technologies to allow very good mimicry of human behavior in their attacks. Um, and that becomes important. And I'm, I'm sure we'll probably talk about this a little bit later in terms of how you detect. But one of the things a bot is trying to do is as much as possible appear to be a human being, because that means they can generally be more successful in interacting either with a website or potentially even with a human being um, who might be on the hook for a social engineering attack or you know some sort of an imposter type situation where a robot is pretending to be a human. And where you see this really come into play is with things like the infodemic. And you know you mentioned the, the pandemic, uh, obviously COVID-19 hitting. A huge amount of bot behavior is spreading of misleading and, and kind of erroneous information, lots of spam, lots of phishing attempts where uh, coronavirus has been involved. One of the evolutions, and, and Imperva kind of reported on this, is that sort of moved to uh, mobile bots. So sitting behind cellular networks, which is very clever when you think about it, because um, on a cellular uh, network, very, very easy to hide because things like IP addresses are obviously shared and circulated in a way that isn't the same when you're on a, a static IP address in an office or in a data center. So kind of fairly clever approach there. You know, fundamentally, what you're seeing is that the bot technology has become more sophisticated. And what you're then seeing is their ability to access websites by really just passing themselves off as actual real human beings has become just much more sophisticated. A good example of this is things like mouse movement. And as bots kind of emerged um, to pretend to move a mouse, what they did initially was move on the very clearly on the Y and the X axis in straight lines because they're programmed to you know move the mouse. You know, you can imagine as you're doing the analysis and you're looking at machine learning patterns that if I see a mouse that moves perfectly on the Y axis, perfectly on the X axis, and then clicks a button, humans don't do that. So you see the evolution where they introduce noise to the, the movement patterns and start more closely mimicking what a real human being would do on a website. Likewise, in many banking organizations have been doing this for many years, but they look at the biometric signals and signatures of people typing on a keyboard. What you would find in, in a bot situation is that the rate of typing will be fairly consistent you know, because it's programmed to type certain letters. Whereas in reality, if you or I were to type our password or to make an entry on a bank transfer, we're humans. We don't space our keystrokes perfectly. We actually have uh, random gaps between those and we make mistakes that are actually signatures of us as human beings. So I'm sure you're an incredible typist. Uh, I'm not, and I make mistakes, but those mistakes tend to be consistent. So for example, if I try to hit the O on the keyboard, I might hit the P accidentally on a query keyboard. Those biometric signals then are, are really good indicators of the kind of patterns that we can use to detect whether then something is a bot or actually a real human being. It's starting to make me wonder, how sophisticated can the technology be in order to see that differentiation? Because what you mentioned about the ability to identify a pattern, associate a pattern, say, with your typing skills, for example. Mm -hmm. Some of the security vendors have been alluding to that as a feature capability of them. This was a few years ago. But now you're saying there's a potential that bots actually exist to mimic even the the way we make mistakes in order to elude on the other side, on the good side, and AI uh, software that's looking out for these malware out there. 
what you've pointed to is the biggest problem in the cybersecurity industry, which is the set of technologies that's available to us is exactly the same as the set of technologies that's available to the attackers. You know, when, when we, we say machine learning and AI at its basics, it's really good mathematics and statistics combined to really just mimic, yeah, in this case, humans. And that is the reality, uh, to your point, Alan, that you're absolutely, the protecting technology can look to detect those patterns. At the same time, the attackers are using exactly the same sort of approaches to introduce the randomized keystrokes, the randomized movement of a mouse, um, the delays before clicking on a button, for example. So if you look at a capture, a robot could answer that very, very quickly using image recognition to point out where the traffic lights are, or where, the, where are the boats in this photo or in these photos. Using AI technology, that can happen very, very quickly, but that's not what a human would actually do. So the attackers and the, the cyber criminals are very clever and they will introduce delays and they'll use exactly the same uh, advanced mathematics and statistics and, and algorithms to um, to basically compensate for detecting the uh, detecting technologies. Okay, let's let's go into the issue of how do we, both as end users and as businesses, contain or mitigate the risk of bad bots. Yeah, look, it's it, there's lots of different ways that this can be tackled. I think the recommendation, just given the size of the the problem, is that you potentially, you know, depending on the the type of organization and the, the the sort of potential impact for bots, that you may want to look at a dedicated sort of bot management solution. And there are many offerings out there to to kind of do that. But what you want to kind of look at is really technologies that can analyze all of the the sort of traffic. You know, looking at the entire scope of where a bot could interact with a particular organization. So things like websites, things like direct calls into an API is a you know a fairly significant sort of vector and entry point to, to uh, for bots to attack. And even things like mobile applications where you want to be able to protect the, the mobile uh, components as well. Generally, you're going to look at more advanced protections. They need to be server side and client side. And those two technologies and approaches can kind of do different things. On the server side, we can start to detect things like uh, device signatures. So if you know, I look at my, my mobile device, for example, uh, it's got a particular MAC address. It's got a a particular OS that's on there. And you can build up a signature for that device and identify it as me. So looking at that sort of server side indications of, of what's going on. Uh, and then on the client side, I think this is where it starts to get more interesting because you can start to look at, you know, we've talked about this already, but the mouse movements, the interactions that would indicate something isn't really a human being, but actually is a bot that's pretending to be one of those. And what you're fighting against there is uh, programmatically when a bot is attaching itself to a website and trying to maybe undertake a transaction or to to scrape some data. Often what's being used is what's called a headless browser. So it, it isn't a normal browser. It's basically a programmatic version of that. It doesn't really have a user interface. It doesn't show the web page, but it knows how to interact and mimic JavaScript and mimic the interactions that a human would have uh, with a, a website. So you basically need something that's going to be able to, to kind of look at that. Active challenges along the way. So as a an interaction is happening on a website, you're sort of injecting or along the way, putting in things that a programmatic interaction wouldn't be able to detect. So a robot wouldn't really understand how to navigate, but a human being would. And, and it's almost like the Turing test. You know, I was thinking about this a little bit earlier because, you know, obviously we were going to have this conversation. And in a way, that's almost what we're looking at here is a very advanced version of the Turing test where we, in real time, at massive scale, I mean, we're talking potentially about trillions of connections across multiple different connection methodologies, but each time understanding, you know, am I actually, am I speaking to Alan or am I speaking to, you know, a bot, somebody pretending to be the, the person? 
So it is a difficult problem, but there are technologies um, specifically designed for bot management. Um, so yeah, pl- plenty of options out there, I would say. Okay, let me ask you this. Given that smart bots are technologies that use AI or machine learning to do things that are good or bad, within the space of cybersecurity, at what point can we trust an AI-based security solution to do remedial things automatically without human intervention? Or should you know, security professionals still do intervene when it comes to remedial tasks. So what you've raised is a very hot topic of discussion. And depending on uh, where you sit, whether you're an organization and, and running a SOC or you're actually potentially on the vendor side where you're selling a solution that you know has the promise of uh, automatic uh, and remediation activities, uh, you will have a different kind of opinion. Where I sit on this is that like the truth is somewhere in the middle and uh, the utility of machine learning and AI is significant these days. I think it's hard to argue that we're at a point where these things are incredibly useful for things like pattern recognition, for automatic response potentially, but depending on the type of incident that you're actually responding to. Um, and I'm thinking here about a SOC environment where you know one of the things we would say when you're looking at automation is you want to choose the, the sort of responses and the incidents that have well-documented detailed responses and remediation steps along the way. And that don't really require that in-the-seat judgment of what to do, because what you really don't want if you're running a SOC is when you respond to the incidents that you do more damage through the response and the remediation activity than the incident itself potentially would have caused. A good example here would be something like a phishing attack, and it could be bot generated coming through to an organization. And if you had it set up to do an automatic AI, basically a bot version of a response, because it's seen what it thinks is a phishing attack, but actually it comes from salesforce.com or Microsoft or you know a very large and well-used business application. But part of the response is that you block access to that website. You can see how that goes, right? It, it becomes it becomes a really significant impact uh, to a business where that's really not what we want. And actually, the same thing applies to bots and bot protection in many ways. Is that you know all of the things we talked about already in terms of protecting an organization against these things. One of the jobs of security is to not introduce friction to real users. You know, we want our customers to be able to log on and to buy things. We don't want to introduce so many checks along the way to make sure that you're not a bot that you end up getting frustrated and and actually not buying the product or not using our services. So, you know, very similar in a SOC, it, it's that balance between the job of security to, to block and stop the dangerous things. And at the same time, making sure that businesses continue to operate um, successfully. I have to ask you this now, since you mentioned it, the ability to block things automatically uh, or not to trust anything, right? That brings up the topic of zero trust. Do you see zero trust being implemented to cover bots within the internet space? Oh, look, there's a little bit of an intersection there, um, I would say. And, and zero trust is such an interesting one. Uh, to me, I work in the industry. It's probably not interesting to everybody, but I think it's a fascinating philosophy when it comes to security. And I'm fully bought in. I think it's a, it's a really useful methodology, philosophy, philosophy, whatever you want to call it, to, to look at how to secure an organization. Where I think, um, to, to your question, where this gets interesting is the availability of very detailed telemetry from things like websites and from securing platforms allows you to provide a level of detail and context that I think could become very useful in terms of really not trusting anything, you know, which is one of the sort of central tenets of, of zero trust, pretend everything is on the internet. Um, and in many ways, when you think about this conversation around bots, those two things are actually quite aligned. Um, they're almost in lockstep when it comes to outcomes because bots generally are, are operating on the internet. They're interacting with our public facing websites, with our APIs, with our mobile applications. And if we can introduce that zero trust type philosophy where as you go along, based on the context, 
context of what is happening as you interact with a website, we can make those decisions on whether we proceed or not in much more granular incremental steps along a, for example, a transaction journey. I think to your point, that starts to become very, very useful and a really potentially meaningful philosophy to securing against uh, bots, not just the, because I think zero trust tends to be seen as something that's protecting an organization internally, you know, ZTNA for, for networks and, you know, step up, step down, step down auth within corporate environments. But actually that same philosophy, I would say to your point, potentially translates quite well into the more, um, the interface between the customer and the, the corporation. Last question I have to ask you. I, I picked up this word called evasive bots. Not really sure what it means, but according to what I've read, evasive bots are a growing concern. How do you see the evasion techniques used in bots evolving in the coming years? And how can organizations, including CISOs, do a better job of detecting and mitigating against these? Look, in many ways, the job of a bot is to be evasive. Fundamentally, if you know something is a, a bot and specifically a bad bot, then you kind of want to sort of deal with that and potentially block its its connection or traffic. So, you know, a lot of the, the sort of techniques that you're seeing are things like the, the cycling of IP addresses, randomizing as much as possible the connection methods to a, a website or an API. So things like anonymous proxies as one example, and um, anything where the bot can kind of very quickly change its identity as it goes, things like delaying requests. Uh, you know, we, we spoke about this, the mimicry of human behavior is a critical component of this. Um, and that has been driven and advanced through, again, the exact same uh, beautiful algorithms that we use on the good side, same stuff can be used on the bad side, just kind of flipped on its head a little bit. You know, when it comes to thinking about how to protect an organization against this stuff, really, you know, the first part is making sure that you're protecting all of those kind of channels of communication, your websites, your uh, API endpoints, your your apps on webs, etc. That is a huge, huge amount of data and it needs to be able to, you know, we said this already, it's like the Turing test on all of that data contextually as it goes, each kind of transaction and each interaction. I mentioned this earlier, there needs to be a component of both the client side, which can detect those things like the keystroke, um, you know, the, the more human side of things. And then the server side, which is much more around device signatures, IP connections, more than the kind of network side of things. Those two things in combination, you know, that's what you want working really well together, server side and client side to give you uh, give you the outcome that you're looking for. Look, you know, I've, I've sort of mentioned this already, there is the the need to make sure that in the um, the use of protection technology that we're not actually blocking the good stuff also. You know, I work more heavily in the email side of things and that, that's kind of what we, we do all the time is we have to be mindful of blocking the bad things, but making sure that if an order is coming through from a client, that that is getting through and bots are very much the same. We want the, the good bots, the things that maybe are trolling a website for SEO or SEM purposes. We want those to work because that helps us kind of move higher in, for example, the Google rankings. So the ability for for detecting technologies to be able to make that differentiation and understand what's good, what's bad is actually very important here. We've talked about it, machine learning in the, the sort of constant the step up and, and leapfrog that happens between the attackers and the cyber criminals and the uh, government organizations, the corporations out there that are trying to protect themselves from this stuff. Machine learning is critical. Uh, you know, it, it, it's the thing that helps us understand the patterns on potentially individual bot transactions that then scale up. And, you know, you can look at the statistics for signal and try and raise that signal out of the noise of all of those connections and start to identify the patterns and those things that a human being never would be able to do because we're talking about just tiny, tiny changes sometimes that would be the thing that says, actually, you know, that's not Gar, that's a robot. And, and that's a very different thing. So we want to block the robot. So, you know, those are, are potentially really critical. And, and one of the things I would say is this is a, a multi or cross-functional thing to think about. So when it comes to protecting an organization, if your listeners are, are thinking about this, it's worth involving the broader teams within the organization 
organizations. So here I'm thinking sales organization, marketing, and the folks who look after customer experience, UX, uh, UI designers, all of those people have uh, valuable input, I would say, to sing and being able to tell where, where are those interaction points so that the cybersecurity and IT teams can start to make decisions around where's, where's the best bang for book in terms of protection and going after those first. Good advice in that one or advices in that one. Gareth, thank you very much for joining us on Podchats for Future CISO. Absolute pleasure, Alan. Lovely to uh, speak to you today. That was Gareth O'Hara, Field Chief Technology Officer for Asia Pacific at Mindcast. On the topic of battling the darker side of bots, you are listening in the Podchats for Future CISO. As always, if you have a topic you'd like us to cover on this channel, simply email us at editors at society.com. We'd also like to invite you to sign up for our free weekly newsletter so you won't miss an episode of Podchats for Future CISO. In the meantime, stay safe, have a great day, and see you on the next episode of Podchats for Future CISO. Bye for now.